there, and welcome to the Craftish Podcast. I am your host, Vicki Howell. This episode is brought to you by Penguin Random House Audio, and they are offering hands-free inspiration while you are making, you know, that thing, that handmade thing. I love books, but I don't always have time to read physical copies, but I do love to have something going on in the background while I'm working or crafting or otherwise just living. So, um, it's really great if you can, you know, dive into a good audiobook. So if you go to tryaudiobooks.com slash crafter, they have loads of titles that are perfect for us makers. And right now they're offering a free download of one called Ivy and Inky the Butterfly by Johanna Bosford. And she's woven together this sort of magical tale around her um, illustrations that she's known for. So it's kind of a an audio and artistic experience all in one. So go ahead and go to tryaudiobooks.com slash crafter and check it out. This week, my guest is Anda Corey, an illustrator who worked for Etsy for 10 years, and that includes launching their Europe division, which is based in Berlin. Um, and now she has teamed up with the fabric company Phenom Spoonflower, one of my faves, to author their new book, The Spoonflower Quick Sew Project Book. I am super inspired by this book and making all kinds of stuff or, well, rather making plans to make all kinds of stuff from it Um, but really it was just a great conversation during it we talked about juggling creativity with motherhood the different views of just craft in general in germany versus america um, and as now lives there or has lived there for quite some time with her family Um, and then we also talk about just sort of the behind the scenes scoop of what it entails to team up with a company and create a co-branded book like this and that includes you know 34 different projects and a bunch of interviews and you know has to balance different designers fabrics Um, spoonflower is known for um, being able to print out fabrics with any design that anyone can upload uh, whether you're a designer or not so just a really interesting conversation with an author, a designer, and just, you know, a fellow maker. So we actually really, you know, I think kind of dug each other and kept talking after the interview was over and we're actually going to be working together on a little something in the future. But until then, um, let's go ahead and meet her now. Anda Corey, thank you so much for being on Craftish. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So you are normally based in Germany, but you are visiting the States right now. I wonder if before we dove into your amazing new book, if we could talk a little bit about crafting and the different perceptions in the U.S. and the Germany, if there is any. I don't even know if there is. Well, so I live in Berlin, um, and I've um, lived there eight years and I'm American, uh, and so is my entire family. So anything I say about Germany is always going to be from a expat, sort of maybe a little bit of an outsider's perspective. Sure. That said, um, I've since the moment I moved to Germany, I've been involved in the crafting world, um, mostly due to my previous job at Etsy. And what I noticed um, is that one, one of the biggest things I noticed in Germany is that 
I don't know. In America, you know, we sort of had this like crafting renaissance, this like mm-hmm. new wave of crafting that happened maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, where a lot of young people, like I would include myself at the time, were getting into these uh, sort of traditional crafts and getting into crafting. I think and, really right after, I mean, I don't know if there's a link at all, but really right after 9-11, I think people really wanted, I noted, I personally noticed at least a big shift in the knitting world that people just wanted they wanted to produce something positive and tangible. Yeah, it's interesting because you're seeing a lot of that right now. Yes. Um, yes. Not, uh, for whatever reasons. But um, yeah, uh, in Germany, what I felt like is that it wasn't so much of a new thing. It, it kind of was always, it had never stopped. The crafting world had more of a continuity to it. It wasn't like, oh, here's all these young people now doing their grandma's crafts. It was like crafting was crafting. Um that was like a major difference. There's You also see that with manufacturing. In Germany, it felt like things were still made there, whereas in America, we often see things mm. being made, you know, far away. Um, um, but, you know, other than that, like, it's a really, you know, it's, it's a really similar, um, you see a lot of the similar trends and uh, similar, I don't know, technique. I don't see, there's a lot of similarities. I wonder if the fact that so many of their craft-related products are still made there contributes to the value perception difference. Maybe there's, there's more onus, maybe. Absolutely. And there's also, what, this is so, so this is um, something I noticed right away when I was, um, back when I was trying to like, uh, I don't know, convince people that they should sell on Etsy, was um, there's a, in, in Germany, there's a really strong sense that you um, should be doing things that you're trained to do and that we should trust experts, you know, vice versa, we should. Um, and so you find a lot of people uh, a little bit distrustful of the idea of uh, like a self-taught crafter. Mm-hmm. It's like if you haven't gone and gone to school, studied uh, knitting, studied textiles, then perhaps you have no business actually doing this as a career. You, you definitely don't have the same, hey, I can start, I can change my life, I can learn this craft, and I can actually make a business doing it on your own. Um, and so there's a little bit of a Elitism. feeling. Yeah, uh, more like but on the other hand, like if somebody is um, a crafter, there's a lot of respect. If you're like have a business selling textiles, you know people look at you as author- as an authority of te- textile right. selling. Um, that is an, another ma- major difference. That's fascinating. What? Uh, let's step back a little bit and talk about Etsy for a second. Were you there at the beginning? Where 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 do you fall on the timeline for working? Uh, I joined Etsy um, in around Christmas time in December two thousand seven. I was one of their very first employees, other than the like one of their first paid employees. Was Christina uh, Batchley there at the time? No, she came after me. She came after. Okay. Um, I can't. It was me, then Mary Andrews, then uh, Vanessa Bertozzi. Um, I don't know if you know any of these people. They're like old school Etsy people. <laughs> so, what did Etsy look like on the ground floor level? Um, like a big empty warehouse uh, f- full of confusion. And <laughs> no, um, Etsy has internally, Etsy was a wild ride. Um, it was a lot of, uh, it was a very small group of people trying really hard to make, to change what, you know, what they thought were doing was change the world. Um, and, but also keep a, a really rapidly growing website together. 
as they did it. Um, it was a lot of, you know, I mean, it, it was, it was pretty crazy. It was I mean, <laughs> like any startup, especially in, in a semi new genre. I mean, e-commerce wasn't new, but a handmade marketplace of that size that was completely sort of like wiki run at the beginning was not it's- something that existed. If you, you know, we've, if you've ever been to a craft fair or no, no, if you've ever uh, organized your own craft fair and dealt with all of the sellers and all of the shoppers and all of the marketing, if you've ever done that, if you combine that with a startup environment uh, and you can imagine the like total stress slash fun slash bonkers mayhem that like that sort of put those two things together would like result in, um, your experience. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you feel at that point in the midst of all of that for better or worse chaos? Did you was there a feeling within that group that this this was something big? This is something that would change Absolutely. a certain part of the world? There's no way I would have stuck with it if it was if I didn't yeah. think it was gonna, it was valid work <laughs> because it was hard, you know, you uh it was a lot of hours, you know, you for not so much thanks at the beginning and um, yeah, like, uh, but we all so strongly believed in it, um, that we kept going. And I think that, I mean, I, I've been away from Etsy. I've uh, left Etsy over a year ago, but, um, I still think that they're like, you know, a, a force, like they're, they've, um, they're now, uh, I mean, they're part of the common vernacular. Exactly. So you were working, at Etsy, which is, I believe, it's still based in Brooklyn, but you were while well, living in Germany. So what happened? I was living in New York, um, working at Etsy, and we started our first European office, which was in Berlin in 2010. And I moved over to to start that office oh. um, with a few other people. And so I moved to Germany in 2010, and. Um, in between that time is when I actually started using Spoonflower as a hobbyist, um, because the thing about working at Etsy is you found out about every crafty thing on the internet. Right. So right you wanted away. to make all of the things. <laughs> yeah. And I was an illustrator, and uh, the idea of being able to like design my own fabric—I mean, it was just—you can remember if you you know 2008 or 2007, it just didn't exist. You could not affordably make your own custom fabric. And I, I was don't like, even oh, know that you would know where changing. to go, even yeah. if it was, you would have to go maybe directly to China. I'm, I'm just not even sure what you would do. Yeah. Uh, again, unless you had like a textile degree and understood this, the inner workings of this field, which I didn't. Um, yeah, you, uh, you had no idea. And I was like, what? This is an incredible idea. I'm mm-hmm. going to design all the fabric and, and did <sighs> for the next, <laughs> basically the next 10 years. Um. But yeah, Etsy, I ended up in Berlin because of Etsy. I moved there to work on the Berlin office and decided I never wanted to live in America again. When, so, did you get your degree in illustration or did you, go ahead. I got a degree in graphic design. I was um, focusing on typography back then. Mm -hmm. And when I graduated, I thought, hmm, I don't really want to be in this world ever again. And then didn't. (laughs) And I taught myself to sew. 
And because, like we talked about, there was this sort of craft renaissance going on post 9-11, I started selling all my the things I made at craft fairs and sort of cobbling together a, a crafty business existence pre-Etsy. So you have pages of design fabric options on Spoonflower. Did, is that how the connection was made to, with you and ultimately writing the Spoonflower book? I know that you've done you know, a bunch of blog projects for them as well, but did they just sort of recognize your talent by just even just the sheer amount that you are producing? No, it's more through the, I think it's more through the tutorials. So I had over the years, because of the crafty community, made friends at Spoonflower US and later they started their um, first European office also in Berlin. Amazingly, through a crazy coincidence, their off their first office was like across the street from Etsy, which was wow. pretty, pretty strange. But so I've always had a, a relationship with them where I've written tutorials or designed things for them. Um, I'm some, I'm always like, uh, I'm one of those people that like bores people to death talking for hours about all my ideas. But as a result, every now and then people will be like, Hmm, we need something done. Maybe Andrew will do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you were just, you were actually, you were actually talking to the people at Spoonflower. I've, I've been yeah. just, I've always just sort of, yeah, had like a relationship with them where I would do work here and there. And it was a total surprise though, to do the book. Um, I had worked a little bit on the last book. Um, I did the technical illustrations for it mm. and wrote a pro and wrote a project for it, Becca Becca Ron's book. And so they already knew. I guess they they already had me in mind because of that. Um, but yeah, it kind of came out of the blue. Uh, they called me and they're like, "Hey, we're going to do another second book, and we we're wondering if you wanted to work with us to write it." It was sort of fell out of my chair a little bit, but said yes of course I'll do it in my spare time <laughs> did you have any or were you still at Etsy at that point I was still at Etsy but a week later I left so. <laughs> all right so the crafty universe just served you up something it's interesting it I actually interviewed Stephen Fraser the, the former CEO um mm -hmm. right after it was like my second podcast of the series ever right after the last book came out and what struck me about the two the the differences in the two books is the first book was very much focused on just how to use their site it was a great book it's like a handbook yeah. and this book is really about play it seems yeah. like is that talk a little bit about what your approach was um the book is called the Spoonflower quick sew project book did you did you have free reign or did you sit down with a team at Spoonflower um, and really sort of go through the years of data for of your makers to create the overarching theme of the book? Um, sort of a mixture. They came to me with their idea. They said their idea was to theme it around um, sizes, mm -hmm. like the different the idea is you have, everybody has a pile of fabric. Everyone who sews or everyone who uses Spoonflower ends up with this pile of fabric. Um, that, and sometimes at some point, you know, it's an overwhelming, you're like, what do I even do with all this? And so they wanted to theme it around size. And then they basically sort of threw the ball over to me. And I went and started making like list after list of project ideas based on size. And then we sort of just, you know, back and forth, narrowed down this basic structure for the projects. Um, 
we and then organically the um featured sellers there's like six five or six um profiles in the book Mm -hmm. that kind of came out organically because we knew we wanted to feature some of the artists and maybe have something a little more in depth than um just one credit and have like little interviews so we basically you know it, it just organically happened we chose sellers based on the fabric we were already sort of seeing a lot of in the projects and choosing the fabric from the projects was a whole nother step where I worked with their team to, I, I basically sort of let them know that they were the experts when it came to who in their community they um, thought would be best for a lot of the projects. And then we put together a big list of um, designers for that. Did that sort of answer the question? That was a really technical answer. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, I mean, I think, cause, well, because here's the thing. There's So there's two, to me, there's two parts of the story. One, there's this... You know, again, you've you've had experience with with two tiny startups that are, that now are both a force, and you bring to the table the experience that goes there. But then the other part of the story is that this is your very first book, and it and it, it shows a little bit. I know. <laughs> See, I disagree. I think that this book is beautiful. I I actually we were as you know we were supposed to do this this interview a bit earlier, and I wanted to wait to get the book because I was so excited about it. Um, I had seen sort of the drip campaign. It's, nobody does drip campaigns like Spoonflower um, to celebrate this book, and um, it's it's really gorgeous. It's got sort of a mix of doable projects, um, but also it's a really aesthetically pleasing in a way that's you. kind of difficult <laughs> with craft books. I mean, I'm I just wrote my thirteenth, so I, I know a little bit about this. Sometimes that can really wow. that can really um, a project is only as beautiful as the photography and the layout and you don't always have I also so, I also am about the, to have a book out through Abrams so I have to tell you that made me extra happy I was like oh, okay I love them yeah I love oh, I love been, Abrams I hope they um come to me to write my next book <laughs> um no, that, so yeah, thank you for saying the book is beautiful. That was actually a really kind of like a fortuitous circumstance. Me being in Berlin meant that um, I suddenly, uh, uh, well, when it came time to like, you know, I was sewing all the projects and it came time, well, we have to photograph them. Do I mail them all to, uh, you know, Durham and do we, do we go to New York? What do we do this? And um, because of my work through Etsy, I, and when I left Etsy, I was actually, working in the um, brand design team as an art director. Mm -hmm. Through my work work at Etsy, I had uh, my friend Zoe Noble, who we literally use for every photo, every photo, everything I ever photographed at Etsy, I hired Zoe to do because she is a wizard. She is so good. She does mainly portrait photography, but she's excellent at product photography. Mm -hmm. She's just, she makes things look alive, like crafts. And then my um, former coworker, um, Bo Collin, uh, I was able to bring her on to help with art direction and do all the styling. And it was really like getting the band back together because we had all, you know, me and Bo had left Etsy and we all came together and um, shot the photos for this book. So it was like, uh, it was really fun. It was a fun group and we had worked together before. And I think um, that's a, a big. Did you bring uh, them to Germany, or did you come yeah. out to... Well, Zoe is based in Germany um, okay. with me, and Bo is in Amsterdam. She's uh, she, she used to live in Germany, but she moved back. Um, so you really did get a lot of creative control then over this. It was project. fun. I didn't design it, but um, the photography was uh, definitely our, our baby. Um, and uh, But that's it. Like About the project, the mix of projects is also... 
I'm glad you noticed that it's like some are really kind of easy, some are a little more complex. Like um, I'm really all about accessible crafting. Yep. I mean, I'm, sister. I'm, I'm yeah. self-taught. I'm self-taught. I'm not a master at anything. I'm really a dilettante when it comes to almost all things. <laughs> and I love, but I love convincing people that they can make something. And so a lot of these projects come from that perspective like oh, oh I can't craft oh I can't do anything oh yes you can just follow the recipe and look like magic you've made something spectacular that's um, pretty much my entire philosophy yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it, I think it vibes really well with spoon flower because people come to spoon flower and they're like oh this is so amazing but I can't draw I can't make fabric right. Well, right. guess what you can well and you know <laughs> you know what's interesting about that is because there are so many, I, I know I did this with my son when it was when Spoonflower was brand new. There's so many people that use their kids' artwork to turn it into fabric, and that really maybe normally they wouldn't have thought of sewing, and they most definitely would not have thought of fabric design. But you know, if your kid draws something, like I'll I'll make a pillow, and all of a sudden you've opened up this this world. And if people can just be a little bit creative for a little bit of time maybe we'll make a little bit of progress because then you're open. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, my daughter, I also have made fabric with my daughter's drawings, but now she's at an age where she's like, oh, I want to design my own fabric. I want to make this. And she's uh, also thinking in that way. I mean, on the one hand, kids seem to take every new technology and make it their own. And she's, so she's born into a world of spoon flower. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm going to make this purse, but first I'm going to design the fabric to go on it. Help me. Don't you love that limitless, you know, mentality that's here? Because I, I especially find so much with adults that whenever it comes to creativity, it doesn't matter if, you know, if it's music or sewing or knitting or, or drawing, that there's just such a, um, a fear behind it of just yeah. a oh no I'm, I can't oh no no you know and and I'm I'm wondering I'm hoping I'm hopeful that because of places like Etsy and Spoonflower and Craftsy and everything where I'm hoping that the next generation will just think oh well there's a place for that or there's an app for that or there's a class for that I don't have limitations because we've got this huge sort of like you know virtual resource yeah what was your process like for actually making the projects in the book? Did you, did you, you know, make them chronologically, all of the swatch projects um, first? Or did you just, was it just like, okay, today, I think I'm going to tackle the beanbag? Um, it was, <laughs> the process was really fun, but it was a little funny in that I, I, so I had all these lists of ideas and then I went through a period of testing where I just kind of got a bunch of fabric and started making sure I could actually make some of the trickier ones. But then, um, through a quirk of just timing, I, um, it was suddenly summer and I was on a three week summer vacation with my family, um, in Portugal, uh, with just an iPad and my, <laughs> And I was suddenly like, and suddenly it was, something happened and it was like, okay, the book has to be written or then we need to get the first manuscript by like, you know, X amount of time. And so suddenly I was crafting in my mind, like on the beach, I would just sit there <laughs> for weeks and I would sew, you know, it's like I'd mentally cut and measure and sew and kind of like write and basically just to get it done. And that's how I wrote, like the bulk of the book was actually written 
completely not near any materials. It was super surreal. And I can't say I recommend it actually <laughs> as a crafting book process. <laughs> and that the whole time I'm like emailing back and forth with the editors at Abrams and the Spoonflower team, just selecting fabric and chatting. And then also at the same time, uh, getting more ideas. Like I would be in a shop and this is where the the pop-up puppets came from. I was in a vintage shop in Lisbon and they had these old puppets like in that style. And I was like, oh, this would be a great fat quarter project. Blah, blah, blah. We can make these. And so I, then I would go write that tutorial. And then when I got back to Berlin, I had basically three weeks to sew everything and correct all the mistakes I had made in, um, you know, trying to sew without actually, without actually. Were you pre-writing the patterns before actually making them? Pre-writing the, the tutorials? Yeah. What do you mean? Pre like, by did you did you write the instructions before you actually made the? That's project? what I mean. That's like what for you mean. most of okay. the projects, I was writing the tutorial. That's really out. hard to do. It was really hard. I but mean, it's a great way to you, check your work. It's actually the optimal way to do it. It's just hard. Um, and what's and actually it's hard, but it was hard at first. But then if you do, if you're doing like thirty, it got easier. I was like, then I started really getting into a rhythm. Yeah. And then of course I found so many errors, and there's probably so many errors still in the book. Um, please don't uh, uh, be mad at me if you find a, everybody out there if you find an error. <laughs> but. Um, because we tried, I tried really hard to correct everything. It was it was really weird, uh, but it was also fun because I had to mentally, um, yeah. I guess when I make things, I also have a tendency to kind of cut corners and make it fast and forget like the things that will make something, yeah. you know, uh, make like your project pressing, come out in the best way. Like ironing. So, is that one of those yes, things? Because I do that yeah, exactly. <laughs> And pinning, pinning. I, I'm, I'm a total yeah. finger, yeah, finger yeah. presser and hold it together as I quickly shove it into the sewing machine person. Yeah. So I, this forced me to like, um, always remember like, okay, you should, a person should probably press at this point. <laughs> right. So they have success. And, um, success because otherwise you're going to get the like hater posts like it's all wrinkling and it's not the shape and it's not the you know my edges are puckering you can can i tell you about fear please uh, lay it on me sister lay i was what i was Let, just out yeah. for months before this book came out i was terrified about it being released like everyone is going to say such mean things i don't know what i'm doing i don't know what i'm talking about and then i finally it hit me you know what? People are going to think of things to hate that I have not even thought of. And that kind of reassured me. <laughs> There's probably things I haven't even noticed that people are going to dislike. And so, um, here's the thing. I don't have to, I shouldn't worry. You put out, <laughs> did you hear that? My headphones just snapped in half. I, oh, I heard something, but, <laughs> um, times. here's mm -hmm. the thing. All, you know, it's not, it's not our responsibility to take care of each individual reader. It's our responsibility <laughs> to put, the, with the best intentions, put great work out with the, you know, under the philosophy that we want people to be, feel successful and creative. And it's clear through these pages that that was, that was the intention, so everything else. I really think also the stress of not do, being perfect is what causes, yeah, is, is the hurdle. And so, I mean, and really these projects, I'm really imperfect. My stuff comes out really wonky. Some of these things I had to make a couple times before I got a photographable version. Um, 
I'm also not uh, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, at the top I'm not the proest pro, and but I think that that's. It's, I think you that's, know, but that's that's another step towards more. accessible accessibility, though. Yeah, I think that your stories told in earnest, like you're telling now, are going to make some people feel more comfortable. Like, oh, okay, well, she wrote this book and she had to make a couple of them, or oh, you don't have to be an expert to get these done. Um, you know, and, and, and it, people don't always intuit that just by looking and saying like, oh, it's a beanbag. Of course, it's just like a square or like a little, you know, beanbag throat. Um, yeah. Sometimes oh, actually hearing you. Like, Go ahead. Hmm? Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, one, of the, one of the things that Spoonflower is doing around the launch that I adored was they had um, several people make their own versions of one of the more simple projects. And th- I love that. And I think because I think a lot of the projects are meant, some of the projects are so basic that it's like, why do you even have this in a book? Because in the end, Spoonflower itself is the sort of spirit of customization. And the projects as well are like perfect for you know, like changing or doing something, taking it further. Um, and I think that a lot of it, a lot of them are really great jumping off points. Um, even if you already know, if you're just totally, oh, a better seamstress than me, there's still something the book has to offer, I hope, um, in terms of inspiration. I also think that sometimes people just like, even if they could figure it out themselves, sometimes it's really nice just to have it written down. We just have so much information coming at us at all times these days, that sometimes just clearing your brain enough to figure something out, even if it seems relatively easy, just is another step away from you actually doing it. And so if you can have like these beautiful, like I keep, I just have the page over for the basic, you know, bean bags, it's just a square. Oh, but look how pretty they look in these different flowers. And I would have never thought of doing different fruit prints. That's adorable. Oh, and also remember to trim the corners before you turn it. Just little things like that. A lot of it is just about the perpetuation of inspiration. Mm-hmm. My uh, I, yeah, I totally agree. My friend was, I think, one of the one of the bloggers that remade on the project the. Uh, to swatch sunglasses. sunglasses yeah, the sunglass case. She, she, um, she's actually not a seamstress herself. She, um, but she did design some fabric with with her artwork, um, and they are they're adorable. And what I loved what I love about people doing that is that if everybody's not into palm leaves and pom pom fringe print, which I don't even want to know you if you're not, but if you're not. I'm- and then you, but then you <laughs> see something crazy, you know, you see my friends, my friend Jen does all these like sort of like crazy face fabrics. That might be your cup of tea. And then maybe you see somebody yeah, else do it I'm- in a simple pinstripe, you know, with a, with, you know, like a classic lining and that's, and that's what makes it fit. And that just, I love zipper pouches. I love zipper pouches are so fun. You can get so crazy with them. You, I love adding little tags and straps and bits coming off them and and then spoonflower is perfect as well because yeah the who, who's your friend that did the face jen um Perkins. that one was one of my favorites because yeah you can draw a face on it you can customize it with someone's name i don't know there's a lot of fun you can do with it i love them too um, the only thing i don't love about zipper I, pouches are zippers 
and sewing them in. I'm not this was a project where I got to talk about, like, I used to make loads of zipper pouches in my Etsy seller days, and I got to use my favorite trick, which is encasing the ends with a little bit of bias binding, because because it's the ends that drive me crazy. Yeah. I like I need to see some sort of finished bit. And this got to use my favorite, one of my favorite techniques of just uh, gluing things to keep them in place, which a lot of quilters do, but a lot of, if you're not, if you don't quilt, you don't really think of that, that your glue stick can be your best friend. <laughs> I also love, there are a few projects in here that really just take, not even swatches, but just scraps to make materials to make other materials, which I really love. Um, for example, um, you know, there's, there's binding, which that seems a little bit, um, expected but less expected is making your own fabric scrap twine and uh, just to just sort of describe it since this is an audio <laughs> read and I'll put pictures on your show notes page I don't know that I would have ever thought of it it's basically sort of taking scraps of different fabrics in your fabric bin and twisting them together to make this beautiful twine that you could you know, then use as an edging on a pillow or to tie a gift or really just to sit on a vintage spool. Are these? Yeah, I love the, that, that was fabric scrap twine is something I saw someone make on Pinterest years ago. And if you are somebody who hoards fabric and actually, no, if you're someone who's used a spoon flower, you are, you are loath to throw away even the salvage because you're like, this is my spoon flower fabric. I can't throw it away. So I have like, bags of scraps and when I saw that that you could make twine yourself I was like oh I'm, that's so it's so obvious what a good idea and so I started making my own and I had so the one in the picture is like mine from just it wasn't even made for the book I just already had that because I make this kind of constantly just constantly I'm weaving my selvage into um scraps of uh into into twine, um, it's super fun, and you I can do it. I kind of want to clear my well. schedule. The and just do this. You can. <laughs> this is one you can do while just sitting in front of the TV or listening yeah. to a podcast. Um, kids can do it. Super easy. It's just twisting. It's just a twisting motion. What did your daughter think about the experience of her mom writing a book? Because writing a book is kind of like birthing a baby. Did she? She absorb did she bear witness to the stress did she find it she did amazingly I mean, creative I don't, and inspiring this last year um the in the time I wrote the book was also um a year where I released my so my daughter is 10 um and what last year when she was nine is it, I really started involving her not just in not in the book but just um in my uh uh world like career-wise in general mm-hmm um, because I was also going through the process of going freelance as a designer. Um, like, for instance, I spoke at a conference uh, that was an all-women's design conference put on by a group in Berlin I'm a part of called Ladies, Wine, and Design. It's a chapter of the... Uh, and we had we put on a conference, and I spoke at it, and I brought her along. I mean, she was the only kid there, really. Oh, wow. But I thought, this is, gonna, this is really important for you to see not only, like, this amazing group of amazing women designers all together, but also see me like get up in front of a bunch of people and talk. Um, and she came away from that just like, I am going to be a book designer and I'm going to design typography and blah, blah, blah. You know, she became really, uh, really fired up her brain for just design in general. Um, and writing the book was just kind of an extension of that. Like I just try to be, show her and model that, um, 
creative work can, uh, you can do creative work as a job, um, and it can take lots of forms, uh, whether it's sewing or writing or, um, you know, designing a book or such and such and such and so and so. Um, so I think she got something out of it. Yeah, (laughs) I think, I think that, so my daughter's nine and she, I think that the combination of seeing the at-home office or wherever sort of like struggle of, oh my gosh, another, like, is this ever going to (laughs) end towards the end? Um, But then also be able to see the other end of it where you're at events where people are really inspired so that they can see the full Mm -hmm. journey, even if it's not a, like, even if it's not linear for where they're going. I think that it's a really amazing experience for them to have. My my daughter, um, she started becoming a, a little bit interested in writing, and, you know, she sees me do some of it, but she doesn't really know, you know, mine's mostly craft-related. And, and uh, we took her to see an evening with Neil Patrick Harris um, the other night. Mm-hmm. He is writing kids' books now, or chapter books, but she had seen him you know, her one of her favorite shows, A Series of Unfortunate Events. And so we took her, and the majority of it was to, was to promote this book. And it was a, you know, a Q&A where he was talking to the kids, and they were asking questions, and he was performing. And her little eyes just, you know, got so bright and wide, because she can, she could see that it was so much more than just a word on a page, that this is, was really an, an all-encompassing experience. And I think much like the, what you were just sharing about your daughter, those, it's that feeling, that, that experience that they're going to remember when they're on their own paths. It's true, yeah, and that they're just, yeah, it's making it, I don't know, yeah, accessible, showing them that this is an option. Although, if you ask my kids about the book, all they're going to say is the fact that they, like, claimed all the products after I sewed them. Um, they will flip exactly to the page where their photograph is, because they all model, my, both my kids modeled for the book as well. <laughs> they don't, it, it, you hope it sinks in a little bit, because, you know, at the end, they're still kids, and they're like, oh, yeah, ho-hum, you wrote this book, look at me, I'm on page. Blah blah blah. <laughs> what is what's the biggest what was the biggest surprise about writing a book? Something that you might have discovered that you that didn't even occur to you before accepting the job? Uh, that I couldn't do it in a day. <laughs> it took lot that's a big one. <laughs> I'm a very one day I'm a I'm a very one day to completion sort of person. <laughs> all the projects in this book can also be made in a day but I was like god you know that I um no I mean but yeah that that it it takes real work um I've jokingly called myself a dilettante but I you know I, I like stuff that's done easily and quickly um and can be a bit lazy and this was one of the first things I ever accomplished to completion that really was hard you know it really took a lot of work you have to you know yeah yeah and that was a bit of a surprise I thought I could just you know just do it (laughs) (laughs) um so that yeah a little little hubris there um so yeah it was um it was tricky uh I mean I mean it was all and, and then on the other hand it was all a surprise because I had never done it before so every step was like new 
So there was a, it was a really great learning experience. I love doing, um, I love new things because, you know, you can learn something obviously. And, uh, it was a really fun, meaty adventure of learning new things at every corner, at every turn. What do you hope that readers of your book take away from it? Oh, just that they should, that they can make this stuff, that they, uh, that it's just a sense of inspiration. Um, I hope that they look at it and like you have said, like they feel like it's a beautiful book. They feel inspired and also feel that they can contribute, like they can make something or, or jump on Spoonflower and design some fabric um, and yeah, keep it like just in- inspiration. And then before we before we leave, what? How are you filling your own sort of creative well now, for your own time when you're when you're not professionally drawing or crafting? I'm also drawing and crafting <laughs> <laughs> unprofessionally at the same time. <laughs> I mean, perfect. really, yeah. Um, I yeah. I just draw. I'm about to start teaching crafting classes to girls my daughter's age and are back in Berlin, I hope. uh, I'm a little behind in getting that off the ground, but that's something I'm working on. Yeah, drawing and crafting. Perfect. Traveling to Virginia. (laughs) Well, Anna Corey, I wish you so much success. It's a beautiful book. You did an amazing job, and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. For more information on Anda Corey and Spoonflower, go to her show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish. All right, now it is time for our new segment, What I'm Crafting To, in which I tell you about what I am listening to or watching or otherwise am entertained by while I am making this week. So I went to go see the Queen biopic Bohemian Rhapsody um, a few days ago, and I obviously was not doing that while I was crafting well not obviously because I do sometimes craft well in the movie theater but that's a that's another story um but what it did lead to um is some of the music that I've been listening to uh, while I've been working and crafting this week and that is just sort of going down a rabbit hole of old queen albums they're they're still really good obviously and um it's been kind of fun sort of reminiscing. You don't realize how much uh, a part of some of this music and Queen's music is a part of the um, sort of fabric the, of the soundtrack of your childhood until you until you revisit stuff like that. So that's been really fun. Um, I finished this week, I finished The Greatest Love Story Ever Told, the audiobook by Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman that I told you about in the last episode, and it was delightful all the way through. It was like listening to, you know, like sitting at a table listening to a couple of friends just tell stories, and it, it, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I've since moved on. I just started the latest Tana French mystery novel, The Witch Elm, and I was a fan of her book in the woods and I'm not really sure why I I haven't read her book since so when I saw this title which is by the way currently number 14 on Amazon's Amazon's most read list which is awesome um, when I when I noticed that it was available through Penguin Random House Audio I jumped on the chance to listen so I'm only a couple of chapters in but so far the Witch Elm is about 
a 20-something Irishman, Toby, who's kind of a, like a happy-go-lucky charmer in the art-dealing world. And he's screwed up at work, and but lived to tell about it, and is celebrating that fact with his mates at a, at a pub one night. And then that night takes a horrible turn, and he ends up surprising two burglars who beat him and leave him for dead. And he survives, but it's it seems like he's you know, forever changed. I, we'll see what happens next. But as a side note, this audiobook had me at hello when the narrator Paul Nugent unleashed his quiet Irish brogue. Yes, please. And thank you. So I'd love to hear what you're crafting to this week. If you'll reach out on my Facebook page or on Twitter to let me know, I would love to hear about it. And you can find me at Vicki Howell at both places. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or post a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps for folks to find us um, when you do so. So we appreciate it. Craftish is a Camp Bell production. It's produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. Oh, and if you are a knitter or crocheter or you know one... A friendly reminder that the November sales for my Yarn Yay subscription box opens at noon central on November 13th. So you can go to yarnyay.com and add your email if you would like to be one of the first to notify. We usually sell out, so, um, so don't miss out. All right, so that is it for us this week, but be sure to check your feed next Thursday for a new episode of the Craftish Podcast with guest Avery Truffleman. She's the producer and host of Articles of Interest, a fascinating special six-part series about the history of certain parts of fashion, which doesn't sound interesting, but is super interesting the way that she portrays it. And it's just a series that's nestled within an existing podcast called the 99, called 99% Invisible. So stay tuned for that. It's a really um, great conversation and I super enjoyed this whole podcast series. So, you know, I'm a podcaster telling you to listen to another podcast, but you should definitely check it out. Until then, though, please take a little time to fill that creative well of yours. It's so important. Breathe in, craft out.